Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. another episode of the limited upside podcast it is thursday october first october it's october october wow Wow. okay we got uh matt allen tuck from here's basketball the wnba newsletter sabrina merchant from espionation.com you guys were here a few weeks ago now we're back because the wnba finals begins what on Friday, you'll probably be listening to it. It will have started today. Friends, how are we doing? We're hanging. Yeah, doing pretty well. So we got the matchup we thought. Las Vegas versus Seattle. When we were on here three weeks ago, we thought that, yeah, that those are the two teams that are going to advance. One of us also thought that uh, there was a certain dark horse that was going to make noise in this postseason that did make noise. I don't know, somebody... Maybe Connecticut. Well, I don't know which one of the three of us was mentioning that. Okay, listen, they didn't win the series. Okay, I, didn't I say still it. maintain that they would not have beaten the Sparks with Neko Gum. <laughs> I mean, they did, they did kick the Sparks' ass, though. That's it's an entirely different thing without your second best player. <laughs> I don't know. Is she worth that many points? You know, it doesn't trickle down like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, Connecticut. Uh, I, I was the threat that I thought. That said. I don't think anything really has gone according to how we thought other than the matchups we've gotten. So I guess we should start by talking about the Connecticut Vegas series, which hung on by an inch at the very end. Uh, it seemed like, I mean, was that game five good? I, I'm asking a purposely loaded question, Matt. Was that a good game? No. I mean, it was vile. I think that's the word I've been using to describe it. Like, it just it was gross. Like, I hope that wasn't the first game anyone to watch this year because, I mean, you sort of expect it in elimination games now that, like, teams get jumpy and nervous and it's not as put together as a usual game. But, like, that second half was especially grotesque. I think Connecticut put up 15 points total. Like Something like that. It was yeah. really bad. Yeah. Uh, 18 points, sorry. But... Uh, I think the single elimination games were just an entirely higher quality than that game five, which is strange because like considering the teams that were involved in those. So I don't think you can totally blame it on the fact that it was just a game five. It's just these teams were so worn out by each other. Yep. Now was the series a good series? 
Let's zoom back a little bit. When I, and I say good again, you take that for whatever you want. Forget Game 5. Was that a good series? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed that series. I think, you know, Game 1 was a blowout, and then every other game was competitive until, you know, the final quarter. And in Game 2 and Game 3, it was down to the final minutes. Like, it was definitely a chess match throughout. I wish Derek Hamby didn't get hurt. So we got to see the full, not even the full aces experience. Cause they were still missing two of their best players, but at least everybody who started the season play. Um, but I enjoyed that series. That's like kind of everything you could ask for, especially for a seven seed that we didn't maybe not all of us mm, expected mm, to be there. Mm. Uh, it was fun. I had fun. Yeah. I thought you saw a lot of the things that both teams do really well, like at various points in the series. And it just happened that Vegas was able to impose themselves, you know, more at the end of the series with Angel and Asia doing their thing, as opposed to Dewana Bonner and Alyssa Thomas being able to overmatch them. Now, Sabrina, you said before we got on air that you thought Connecticut blew it more than Vegas won it. Um, why do you think that is? I'm not sure that they blew it more than Vegas won it. I just think that there were opportunities there for them to win this series that they didn't take advantage of. Uh, I thought their game four really is when they blew it, not so much in game five, because game five, they just couldn't knock down any shots. And that's that's a sun problem like all of the time. It's not unique to this season. It's not unique to that game. Um, but they didn't have like the requisite energy level in game four. They just, they didn't rebound the ball. Well, they didn't get out in transition. Well, everything that you sort of associate with the sun was not on display in that game. And then once you get to game five, like there's just no accounting for what could potentially happen in elimination game. They're so random and, you know, one bad shooting streak can totally doom a team. So I really thought it was game four where they lost the chance to put this away, especially because that was Vegas's first chance without Tierka Hamby. So that was the game I thought they had to put him away. Yeah, I mean, Alyssa Thomas came out a little flatter in that game too, right? Was it just totally. me in game four? I was a little worried about, you know, if game three was more of the, you know, hype of I'm just coming off injury and I've got nothing to lose here. And game four was more of the reality of, at, you know, my shoulder actually really freaking hurts. Um, but then game five, she bounced back and played pretty well. So I don't know. I was nervous after game four, though. So allow me to do the devil's advocate here and say that the, or not even the devil's advocate, because this is what I believe is, because I very much believe the Aces won that series more than Connecticut lost it. Now, if Jasmine Thomas hits one wide open three in game five instead of zero, we're obviously talking about something completely different. But I think that the Aces made some awesome adjustments from game four on that I don't think, I don't think Alyssa Thomas had no, had lacked energy in game four. I think the Aces, devise a game plan that shut her down. And I think they frankly did for most of game five as well, except for that first stretch of that first quarter where she was really rolling. What I think they did is that they, after a couple games, I think they overreacted to Jasmine Thomas's big first game because they were starting to kind of like trap those guards, Thomas in January. And they were like yielding so much work for Alyssa Thomas. She just had all the room she wanted. What they started to do is they started to really help off those two guards and clog the paint. And because Connecticut didn't have Jonquil Jones to space the floor, they had Brianna Jones. I mean, Thomas just had no place to go. She was just basically living in the short roll area. And that's not the way to win. And I think that was a huge adjustment that, you know, maybe Connecticut could have broke if their guards had a couple more shots. But that's, I think, a very fair gamble to make. And I think that was a smart gamble to make. And it yep. shows to me... One of the things that actually why I think Vegas will be a little more competitive in this finals, and we could talk about that in a bit, than they than you might think, is that they just do such a good job of clogging space. 
once they get away from sort of overreacting to their mistakes. So yeah, which know, is impressive got, to do. do you guys agree? Like, I think this is more Vegas taking the series <laughs> from Connecticut than the latter. I can agree with that um, to some degree. Um, I think I was surprised they were able to still pull that off without Hamby, just because she's that like glue central piece uh, that can defend anyone and really help Asia in clogging the paint. Um, so I was at that and especially because they only really played like five and a half players. Like if you combine that like six person to like split minutes, they really hardly made any subs and they bench players who played all year. So, uh, yeah, it was impressive. Listen, Bill, Bill knows, Bill knows what he's doing. I, we might all doubt his, uh, offensive strategies, but defensively he always knows what's going on. Yeah. I was surprised Vegas didn't go small at all in that series. Um, just because I, I mean, Swords was better than I expected in those final two games, uh, having to play all those extra minutes in Hamby's place. But that that seemed like a matchup that Connecticut <clears throat> should have taken more advantage of and did not. And the fact that they were able to get away with it, I do not think that's going to happen in the Seattle series. But um, credit to Blake Lambier and the Vegas staff for figuring out how to make her useful defensively and just keep her as a presence, you know, directly next to the Roman rebounding ball. Yeah, I was also surprised that Vegas didn't go small. Although, I mean, knowing the coach and knowing really personnel-wise, I'm not even sure who would be in a small lineup. Would you play Robinson, Young, McCautry, and McBride? I I, I haven't seen that unit together much, so maybe you could. Um, but, I mean, the other thing that I thought really changed in that series, and I remember, Sabrina, you talked about this when we did our playoff preview. What happens when Angel McCautry plays real minutes instead of 20 minutes a game? It took a couple games, and it took a while for her to find a rhythm. She had, I thought, a brutal first three games. She was unbelievable in the games four and five. Uh, what do you think changed for her? That's a good question. Um, I know Matt was just like losing his mind on Twitter about the minutes that McCautry was playing in the first three games because <laughs> it just wasn't happening yet. Uh, she just got downhill. I mean, uh, they I think they were force-feeding Asia a little too much in those first few games and, uh, I mean, I understand that she's the MVP. She's the one you expect to carry your team on the offensive end. But, like, Connecticut clearly had geared everything towards stopping Asia and just letting the rest of the team beat them. And when they started to specifically let McCautry go to work, like, they cleared out the side for her to ISO. Um, she's just stronger than Bonner. So she was able to get to the hoop, you know, on those – in that matchup um, – and then when she got going in transition, like it just seemed like the, the hoop was so wide open for her on those jumpers. Like that third quarter that she had in game four was miraculous. That was so cool to watch. Yeah, I, I thought it was telling to your point about Wilson. The best quarters I thought Vegas had were probably what? Third quarter of game four and maybe what? The second quarter of game five. I'm trying to remember when they made their comeback. Was that the third quarter of game five? One of those quarters. It was combined, I think, yeah. Yeah. I remember Wilson had, like, one shot in the third quarter of Game 4, and I believe she did most of her work in the fourth quarter of Game 5, not in the first, not in the second or third. So to your point, they played best when Asia Wilson wasn't taking the majority of the shots, and that's, I think you're right, it's not a slight on Asia. I think it's just a matter of force-feeding her too much and needing to find, really play their normal game instead of just throw the ball to Asia. Yeah, I, I would yeah, really agree. I think a lot. Of, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I mean, Asia. 
Yeah, no, Asia, it really depends too, because um, she's gotten just much better at drawing contact and getting to the foul line that, that I think is been a staple of her MVP season and in the quarters where she's able to get those calls, obviously she becomes a tremendous player, but otherwise she's, you know, more reliant on knocking down mid range shots. And that's a lot of just, you know, hit or miss depending on the day. I think it also depends on like the specific matchup, whereas, you know, Connecticut just is more built than other teams to stop her. Uh, So it was easier for them to look elsewhere, you know, later in the series for offense than just, continuing to rely on Wilson, unless of course they run the bonus, in which case like Asia's just money at the free throw line. Yeah. How many fouls did she draw in the fourth yep. quarter of game five? She drew like, it felt like 200. It was all 10. <laughs> it was, it was all 10, all 10 of her free throws came in the fourth quarter. Oh, I'm pretty sure. And she made nine. she made nine of them. Now, if this were the NBA, we would be talking about a potential conspiracy a la Kings-Lakers game, game 6, 2002, to kind of make sure that Las Vegas advances instead of the disrespecting Connecticut Sun. But I don't think that's what happened. But imagine if that was the narrative coming out of this game. Listen, who knows what the narrative is going to be by next year? Because these two, <laughs> these two teams were passive aggressive as hell for the entire series. So Yeah. What, what were your favorite passive aggressive moments? It's just, I feel like the entire just like online-ness of this series, like no matter what happened, no matter who said what about which team, the other team was offended that it wasn't said about them. And um, I don't know, I guess that's what you get when you have a league of 12 teams where 11 of them are missing some of their best players uh, throughout the whole year. So they view themselves as the underdog. Um and, you know, I think Seattle's probably the only team that can't really argue that that, uh, that they're being slighted and that they're the underdog. So I think everyone had that, like, same chip on their shoulder. Like, what? We're missing, you know, we're missing her. But, like, the point is, like, everyone is missing one of her, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so tired of the disrespect stuff. I'm oh, my God. I think it's a really good hashtag, it's so, though. It's really it, good. It was a good hashtag, but now it's just so lame. Like, your team is so good and so cool. Like, please let them live. Like, they don't need this, this you know big ad but we're done yeah i mean there's that i hated it last year too i just thought like you're almost like you're almost shooting yourself in the foot with this because you want to be taken seriously but you constantly are positioning yourself as the team that nobody takes seriously like at a certain point you become what you don't want to become in that scenario and it makes me wonder if like they were actually secretly want to be the this team that is disrespected like they were positioning themselves that way on purpose to then get mad about it it just felt like a weird six degrees they had the second runner-up for mvp so like (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i I don't understand and then this year they've got dewana bonner is one of the best scorers in the league they've got championship experience they have Alyssa thomas who's awesome they have i mean what what is there that needs to be disrespected I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't. You see a very similar thing in like the NWSL. Actually, there's like the number one team, North Carolina, consistently acts like nobody respects them, and they've won the league title like three of the last four years. It's I don't know. Some people just like playing with the chip on their shoulder for whatever reason. Listen, I think there's one person in this league who gets disrespected, and I hope we talk about her later on <laughs> in the show. Hmm. Now I want to know who that is. Uh, we will. You can bring it up. Um, for sure. I mean, it's it's not just, I mean, it's in all sports. It's so tedious. Like, the nobody believes in us stuff, the crap. Like, we we joke about, like, kind of, we were talking on the last podcast about the Lakers and, like, sort of the we believe joke 
there of like, oh no, people think <laughs> against the Lakers. It's just like it's my favorite thing. <laughs> Me so, too. You, you like it? I don't know. I just find it. So, I mean, it's funny because yeah. it's telling in cheek, oh, yeah. but like once it crosses over into serious, it just gets so tedious. Oh God, no! That's why I was so uh, refreshed. Just like for a little aside, when Jimmy Butler said, "Like we're not underdogs in this series. Like we expect to win." It's like, yeah, coming like that. I, I fully appreciate that attitude. I like it too, and. I, the other thing too about this series with Connecticut and Vegas was it was just so physical, and you know everybody was so close to the basket, and everybody was yep. jamming. Like I thought, and this is a good segue to the finals, and why I think Vegas. I don't think Vegas will beat Seattle, but I think it will. They will look a lot more competitive than you would think, considering the way both teams advanced to the finals with Seattle just breezing by Minnesota. And Vegas, like, going down to literally the last possession against an inferior by the regular season team. Connecticut was tailor-made, I think, to really frustrate Vegas because that's the one team that you the Vegas can't punk and just beat up. Seattle is a great team, but you can get at them physically. The evidence is the aces in the regular season. Uh, not the second game because nobody was healthy, but the first game they played, Vegas really beat them up. Do you guys think, and I guess we'll start with you, Sabrina, do you guys think there's anything to be taken from that game, that first game that will apply to these finals that will make this make Aces fans feel like they have a real shot? I think the Aces do a really good job of getting to the foul line, and they did that against Seattle in that game. I think they got into the bonus in the second quarter, like like two minutes into the second quarter of that game, and that just was a parade to the free throw line that built their huge lead at halftime. Um, Natasha Howard in that Minnesota series picked up a lot of early fouls. Mercedes Russell is not immune to picking up fouls. Like this is a matchup where Asia Wilson can really just get those bigs in foul trouble. And if they, you know, just make this a slow pace, like let's just uh, get to the free throw line, every single possession that's, you know, going to disturb with Seattle's overall offensive flow. And then obviously Vegas has really good free throw shooters in terms of Wilson and McCautry. So, Matt, do you think there's anything from that regular season game that you think Vegas can take away that hasn't been mentioned? Yeah, I'm all, I'm almost kind of wondering. I remember Dan, uh, remembering Danielle Robinson really having a good game um, when they played the first time around, and she's obviously really sparked uh, their best lineups in the past series and got bumped into the starting lineup. So I think I'm a little curious about how much her uh, speed and physicality will make a difference um, in this series. Obviously Sue didn't play in that first game, but you know, Sue is almost 40 years old and not a terrific defender and George Canada had a little bit of trouble with her too. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're an easy fan, you got to feel pretty good about Danielle Robinson emerging as, you know, the point guard for this team. Now, of course, the one problem for the Aces is that Dierka Hamby is probably, she's definitely out, right? She, She's not coming back with a, yeah. is it a foot injury? Yeah, she's she's done. Sixth one of the year. Yeah, I it's, think. It's, Incredibly important play and really important in this matchup because of her ability to, she, she, who else is guarding Brianna Stewart? I mean, who, who is ever guarding Brianna Stewart? <laughs> yes, Unless it's Nafisa Collier, I suppose. That's fair. Even then. It's, yeah. It's like, honestly, though, in the league, who would you want, like, guarding her? It's really, it's like Nafisa, Elena, maybe. I don't know. There aren't really. And Dierica Hamby. And Dierica Hamby, yeah. There are many aside from those three who can really, you know, keep up with her. So is that, what are they doing in Stewart then? Um, Who, I mean, 
I don't know, Matt, if you were alluding to some who you think is the most disrespected player in the league, like, I think it's still Brianna Stewart. I don't know if that's who you were talking about. Um, wow, I want to hear more about that, actually. <laughs> I, I just think that she is... I don't know if... She, I, again, I've said it before. I don't think she should have won MVP this year necessarily because she didn't play every game and Wilson was so good. But I think the gap between Stewart and everyone else who has played this year, I'm, I'm throwing Deladon and Maya Moore out of this um, because those I think are the only two players that could match her if they were playing. The gap between Stewart and everyone else in the league is so vast. I mean, she is... I, I, the, the the person I compare it to is like Anthony Davis, except with more of a perimeter game and less of a big man's game. Like just she's so big, yep. so long. She can play on or off the ball. She makes such quick decisions. She hits shots that are really impossible to stop. And I mean, you mentioned that Nafisa Collier did a pretty good job on her. I thought game one, yeah. Game two, she missed shots. Game three, Stewart destroyed her. And that's no slight on Collier, yeah. but that's just how good Stewart is. And I just think that we are reluctant to just say the the thing, which is she is so much better than anyone else in the league that you, the Storm just start off with this massive advantage in every series. So in that sense, I think she's disrespected just because I think it's just really hard to convey the gap between her and everyone else in the sport. But... I don't know, Matt. Who do you think is disrespected? I'm curious who you were thinking of. I'm, I'm with you on that with the Stewart thing for a bit. Uh, I, I explained my MVP choice in sort of the same way because I picked Asia Wilson, but I don't think Asia Wilson's the best player in the league. I think Brianna Stewart is the best player in the league. Um, and I was more surprised that she didn't get uh, Defensive Player of the Year um, votes. Uh, she only had a handful. Um, maybe that's because Seattle campaigned for Alicia Clark instead. But I was deciding between Melissa Thomas and Anna Stewart for Defensive Player of the Year. But I'm using that as my segue. If we're going to talk about the most disrespected player in the league, um, were you planning to talk about uh, Candace Parker? Because oh yeah, I guess we, we should, should probably talk about, about that. Right. <laughs> we should so, probably talk. About so this is not finals related, but just to give some context to the listeners, Candace Parker was the media's choice for defensive player of the year, but the coaches select the all defensive team. And they did not name her on either the first or second team all defense. Who were the forwards that beat her out? Elizabeth Elizabeth Williams was on the first team. Uh, so was uh, was it Alyssa on. Thomas. Yeah, Alyssa Thomas was first team. Yeah, Elizabeth which is Thomas. totally fine. Alyssa Thomas. Yep. Elizabeth Williams, huh? Uh, I just remember um, there there was <laughs> yeah, a lot of my timeline said. that was on the Benajelani Elizabeth Williams duo on the first team. They both <laughs> made this team. Yeah. Yes. Wait, you, should, you should look up their two-man defenses, Mike Breda. <laughs> what? What did Atlanta yeah. rank in defense this year? Uh, either tenth or eleventh. Well, yeah, that seems like a smart <laughs> too. So, who was on the second team? I assume Clark was one of the forwards. Clark was first team, right? Clark was first team. I think and um, second team. Asia Wilson was, was second Asia team. Wilson and Nafisa. Stewie was also oh. second team. Okay. Uh, all right, yeah, it, I'm looking at it. Oh, no, they don't have it on the site here. Yeah, yeah. so okay. Stewie, Collier, Ariel Atkins, Brittany Sykes, and Asia Wilson were second team, hmm. which is a good defensive team. Yeah, but okay, so usually in these situations you say, wow, the media doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. The media is disrespecting them, but it's the coaches. 
<laughs> disrespecting Candace Parker and that's <laughs> that's what's, why what's going all, on this is why this is this is why this is my favorite beef possible this is why this is my favorite beef possible because it's a complete opposite where it's not the media who's disrespecting the superstar it is the actual players and coaches in the league who are disrespecting <laughs> the superstar because we have a ton more evidence for this Candace Parker is just like the most fascinating case as like one of the, like, she's going to go down as an obvious Hall of Famer. She was Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Who the hell does that? She's has a championship, so, you know, you can't, you just can't slight her in anything, uh, you know, accolades-wise at this point. Yet, if we're going to do a quick recap of the past four years, she got cut from the Olympic team, right, in 2016, which was nuts, and she was told Supreme that she wasn't one of the best players. Bias. Supreme Connecticut bias and was told she was not one of the best players at her position, which is wild. Um, and they even took a uh, was she still was Stewart still in college? Or she, I think it was her first year, first year in the W it was okay, first year in the W, even though I love Brianna Stewart, but that had to sting. Last year, right? The Athletic comes out with a poll with two thirds of the league voting anonymously on who the most overrated player is. Twenty point five percent picked Candace Parker. So players aren't respecting her. The Team USA committee isn't respecting her. And now after winning Defensive Player of the Year by media, she wasn't even named to one of the first or second teams, which has never happened in NBA or WNBA history. So the coaches are also disrespecting her. So I think that there's a case that Candace Parker might be the most disrespected player and maybe all of sports at this point, because what a bizarre four years where she's still been incredible. She was an MVP candidate this year. She's won a championship in this time period. Yet, for some reason, nobody who's actually playing this sport is respecting what she's done. Wow, that is that, crazy, that, right? It sounds crazy. Uh, Sabrina, you're close to the situation in L.A. Like, what, what could possibly explain this? So for, I don't know, the, the overrated thing is really strange to me because I, I was part of the athletic beat writers. I was conducting that poll and I was uh, obviously polling the Sparks and uh, I was surprised to get one vote from that locker room for Candace Parker. Get out! Get <laughs> out! Is, is it a player? That I should is? not say any more than that, but uh, yeah. Wow. Is, that is, was, can you at uh, least say if they're still on the team? They're Ooh. not. They're not on the team anymore. Okay. Uh, that is fiery. So, what, so what, what's going on? What's the deal? The, okay, so the Olympic thing to me just reads like Gino was the head coach of the team. He took Brianna Stewart over Candace Parker because he is the Connecticut coach. Uh, that was a very Connecticut heavy team. It was a very Nike heavy team, and Candace yeah. Parker is Adidas. Um, there was oh, a lot yeah, going on there right. that I can't, you know, I, I don't totally attribute to the fact that Candace Parker wasn't worthy of being on the team, but like, it felt a lot like UConn, Tennessee, like other rivalries that don't really have to do with um, Candace Parker standing as a player. And she obviously took that to heart because that was her title winning season in 2016 when she won final MVP against Minnesota. About the shoot thing too. The shoot thing yeah. is a huge deal with the Olympics. Yeah. Right. Um, so that one, uh, it's, it's stupid that she wasn't on the team, obviously. And she has since said that she's not going to play international basketball because of that, which is just deprives us of watching her in international basketball. But uh, the, the player thing was so weird to me. Uh, I don't I don't get it. I mean, last year obviously was not a good Candace Parker season. She came in out of shape. She readily admits that. Uh, she got hurt. And, you know, she's still considered Candace Parker because obviously she has this decade-long track record in the WNBA to back it up, but she did not play close to that, you know, designation last year. Uh, 
I think she's just regarded as like an offensive player. And uh, she really takes it personally that nobody thinks of her as a defensive player. Um, when I think she's very impactful on that end. I'm not sure that she would have been my choice for defensive player of the year. I kind of settled on Alyssa Thomas, but like, I don't vote or anything, but I, maybe it's the LA thing. You know, I, I just can't figure that out. The only thing I can think is that she's not a UConn player, which was a bigger deal when she came into the league than it is now. And she plays in this market that people like to make fun of. Time is of the essence with the Prada family. We've got a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler who is rambunctious and wild and all the great things that toddlers are. We've also got a seven-month pregnant wife who is working currently, uh, so she's a superstar. And then you have me, who isn't exactly the best cook in the world. So you know what's been really nice is having DoorDash there to order food when everything else in our life is going nuts. We just want to find something nice to eat for that night and get us through to the next day. DoorDash is the app that brings the food, you the food you're craving right to your door, and it's been a lifesaver for so many nights for us during the week. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely, out, safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite restaurants. I'll shout out the main event in Plainview. One of our favorite places to go before the pandemic, and now a nice place to order from on DoorDash. But you can also get other national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, or you can get some of your local favorites. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and your food is on the way. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on the first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your and your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E. W-I-R-E for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Holy crap. Football is back? That, that really snuck up on me. Anyway, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on, the, on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get on, on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all those great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word. Bet online, your online sports experts. Do you think there's something to the? I mean, we're we're going we're getting fraught with like kind of issues of gender and race when we talk about this. But I wonder if does, does it have anything to do, perhaps, with she's very outspoken. Uh, Compared to some of her peers, she has been honest about, you know, some of the problems with the league. She has been emotional. She's had moments like last year's conference finals where, or semifinals where she gets benched by her coach uh, and there's some stuff going on there. 
does some of that weigh in the perception of her that I think affect that affects her more negatively than it should? Like the the emotional thing, like Diana Taurasi is the most emotional player on a basketball yeah, court, right? right? And we don't yeah. hold that against her at all, right? What, what race is Diana Taurasi? Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and then like there are people, there are black athletes in the WNBA who are very outspoken and like I'm Maya Moore, it's not held against her, you know, uh, she's, I can't hear bad things said about Maya Moore's quality of play, right? Uh, I really can't figure out what it is that just like this perfect combination of things that makes Candace Parker in this situation, but it is frustrating as hell. <laughs> it's gotta I, be. It is. Yeah. I can't, I can't put a thing on it either. I don't, I don't know what set everybody off about her, but clearly there's something we have been, you know, handed several reasons why there's something going on. We, we have to figure out what it is next year. It's just fascinating that it's the people in the league who feel this way and not the usual like kind of blame the scribes and the plebes and those stupid media people who only play basketball through 2k and can't hit a left-handed layup and all that bullshit uh it's so (laughs) it's so funny about how that works i mean i do remember in the nba there was like a time and i don't know if this is still true where there was some jealousy towards steph curry for several socio-economic reasons but also small guy shooting threes reasons but this is something totally different i don't think this has there's any comparison here um okay you've sold me that candace parker is more disrespected than anyone else that is my spiel that's what i got for you it was a really good newsletter matt (laughs) thank you thank you i was just i was blown by it i was like this is the this is my thing this is the spiciest thing i've ever heard yeah (laughs) you know funnily enough i think candace parker was is the second best player in the bubble, not Asia Wilson. I think Asia Wilson had the second best season, but <laughs> yeah. You know, anyway, that's new here and there. Should we get back to the finals? Um, let's do it. Let's get back to the finals. Um, we talked a little bit about Stewart, and um, without Hamby, what is the strategy for stopping or limiting her? Because there is no Nafisa Collier on this Aces team. There's no Dierica Hamby, and in that. Minnesota series after really game one, I thought she totally controlled everything. What can, what do the aces do? The thing is like when Sue Bird didn't play, you could speed them up and just force them into turnovers, you know, but that it's not really an option when Bird is running the point. Uh, I, I, I struggle to find ways that they're going to make this a series truly because like, in theory, you know, you put Asia on Brianna Stewart to start and like, oh, you know, MVP power forward versus MVP power forward. Like there should be a, an option to stop her here. I, I guess you just try to force Stewie into jumpers as much as possible and hope she's missing. Do you still start Carolyn Swords and still play Carolyn Swords bigger minutes? I think the other thing is like, is this the series where even if they figure out what to do with Stewie, does Natasha Howard just repeat like what last year was? Cause she sort of found her game more as the season's gone on and it, she stretches Carolyn swords out. I mean, that, what, what is swords going to do against her? I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point you just have to live with the result, right? Mm-hmm. If you lose because of Natasha Howard, you lose. Right. True. There's, but I mean, this is, this is a player we were talking about for MVP last year. I know. <laughs> Breaking yeah, like, news, the Seattle you, Storm have a lot of good players. You can't yeah. use swords the same way you did at the end of that no. Connecticut series because she wasn't, you know, coming up high on most of those ball screens. And like, you're not going to leave Jewel Lloyd in those situations. You're not going to leave like even Alicia Clark in those situations. I mean, and, and not that Alicia Clark is going to run a pick and roll, but like, uh, they're just the, 
Connecticut didn't have any shooters, right? That swords needed to contain, like they yep. consciously made that decision. And you, you just can't play that same way against bird and Lloyd and maybe against Canada, but like how often are those matchups going to happen? You make a good point with Jewel Lloyd too. Cause she just, I mean, she torched Minnesota off those high screens and she was just able to shoot. She, she right came over back anyone. at the end of game three, right? Um, I know she didn't start the second half, but I got to be honest, I kind of blacked out of that second half of Minnesota yeah, game. Yeah, that game was so bad. Yeah. Um, um, I, I know she had like. Because <laughs> I love this storm when they're at their best, but I understand what you're saying. Definitely not. Not competitive, not competitive <laughs> is the better way to put it. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, assuming Lloyd's healthy, yeah, she was just yeah. raining fire on Minnesota, and she's capable of doing that, obviously, again. So I'm glad you mentioned Lloyd because I think um, one of the big keys for Seattle this year, amid all the injuries, and really over the last two years, is that she has really emerged and improved her game. I remember in 2018, the last time this team was whole, in the Phoenix series in particular, which was, I would say, the real finals because of the Mystics' health situation. Mm-hmm. She got totally taken out of the game by, by Brianne January. Uh, when you took away her curls in, she didn't really have other counters. They helped off her. It got to the point where they benched her for Sammy Wickham, if I recall, to get more shooting on the floor. The, these teams use the same strategy, and Lloyd beats it now. You know, that's what Minnesota did with Odyssey Sims was all over her and it didn't matter. She has just become so much better, Lloyd, at using those screens, getting herself her shots, even against pressure. To me, outside of the Stewart matchup, the real interesting and key one for this series will be Kayla McBride or Jewel Lloyd. Who can get going as that secondary scorer? And right now, the t- the scales tip much more favorably in Lloyd's favor, for sure. On that, I mean, but to be fair, like McBride had to deal with Brian January last series. Well, that's so true. It's going to be a lot easier for her, I think, in this matchup. That's true. Even, even still, though, McBride didn't really have a great year, and I always question if Vegas is ever using her properly. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but you know, McBride is like one of these knockdown elite shooters, and I feel like she's hardly ever able to get space in Vegas' system and throughout the year, I mean, that was kind of reflected in her numbers. I I mean, I feel like she kind of just automatically pulls one defender away, you know, so it lets the rest of the team play four on four, which is yes. very valuable in and of itself, even if her right. numbers aren't showing up, right? Like, Yes, I think that's true. exactly it. And it's especially valuable when she's your, you need that. Like, I remember, I mean, Sabrina, you would, I think, agree with this too. When the, the Lob City Clippers used J.J. Redick very much in the same way, where it was not necessarily his scoring ability, but his ability to, when running off screens, to just pull defenders away. I think that that's sort of what McBride has done for Vegas. Um, but I don't know. I mean, this series is going to... The, the other challenge I have in this series for Vegas, and I'm very curious to see how this plays out, uh, is that in that regular season game, Partially because Sue Bird wasn't playing to, I forget which one of you two said that, that that made it so Vegas could turn Seattle over, but that was a really good point. Sabrina. Obviously not Matt, but... Uh, <laughs> no, never me. Uh, um, but I, that was a good point. But um, Vegas was able to sort of shrink space off the ball with, and they did this great in the Connecticut series, but they even did it well against Seattle in that regular season matchup with Angel McCautry playing passing lanes kind of leaving people at a perfect moment and then being able to recover really quickly to them 
that's something that she's so good at that I think will potentially allow Vegas to play off some players who look like shooters but maybe aren't. But if Bird is playing and Dierka Hamby is not, I'm not sure that's going to be as possible for Vegas to do, especially if that, those plays aren't leading to turnovers and aren't leading to sort of those runouts and fast breaks and those open court opportunities that McCautry particularly thrives in. Um, I just, I'm just kind of curious how that's going to play out. Is there any way for Vegas to shrink the floor on a storm team that seems to present so many options at so many different places on the floor? I The, the looks I'm getting is suggesting <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like who you even help off of. Like I guess Howard, but you're not helping off Clark. You're not helping off Lloyd. Like you're not helping off of Bird. Uh, like the my the only thing I can think of is you just get them in early foul trouble and then you bring the bad shooters on the court. You know that's that seems like the best plan of attack for Vegas. I mean, you would I would think you'd help off Clark, even though she's become a better shooter and a quicker release. I mean that is, is so that's probably the gamble you make. But yeah, I mean it's a gamble. Yeah, it's not like helping off of Jasmine Thomas. It's, right. it's no. yeah. And we're we're helping off Natasha Howard is a thirty five percent shooter from three this year. So that's that's your best option. The one thing that I think could happen, uh, well, there are a couple of things. This is a tempo series first and foremost. One, you know, Vegas can play at their tempo; they have a chance, and maybe more than a chance, because again, it misses two. Delayed fast breaks or fast breaks that mask their spacing problems and pound it inside to Asia to free throws, which is then to half court possessions and rinse repeat. Seattle, I would say Seattle's offense was better in 2018 than it is now. I think, do we agree with that? I think they were better then. There are moments where Seattle does appear to be playing a little bit in mud compared more often than they did two years ago. Not often, but more often. There is a world, I think, where Vegas can force that, but it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, well, that's also the difference, I think, between pre-Achilles tear Stewie and post, and maybe that won't be long-term, but she was definitively better in 2018 than she was this year. God, that's a scary thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is why it was so fun to see her, like, at, you know, in that game three against Minnesota, just wrecking everything they were trying to do. And, like, I mean, I they mentioned like the wingspan over and over again, but like you just see it reflected in like the time of shots that she can take, you know, that even a player is like Nafisa Collier just can't guard. Yeah. It, it looked a lot yeah, like, also to put it... go ahead, man. I'm sorry. I was just going to say to put it into numbers, Stewie shot 8% worse from the field this year than she did in 2018, Wow, which is significant. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty significant. <laughs> um, but I mean, to, to the point about defense, it reminded me a lot of what Anthony Davis did to the Heat in game one. And it's the same thing. It's just, I called Davis a few years ago. It was like, I it's this idea of like, what if you could create a wall that was mobile enough to just move wherever you wanted? Like you had like a giant shield that you could put at any place on the court. And that would just be such a deterrence for pull-ups for roles, for help. It was just the the length that he presents. And that's the same thing Stewart did to Minnesota. And, you know, it could be the same thing that happens here. I mean, I again, I think this series will be a little more competitive than you guys do because I do think that you there will be at least a game, maybe two, where Vegas is able to play their tempo and to play their style close to the rim and muck the game up. Do you guys think that this is a sweep 
do you guys think? What do you think? I keep saying Storm in four, giving myself a little leeway for maybe Vegas to have that one game. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's a sweep either, just because, you know, there's. I think there's going to be a game where Seattle just doesn't shoot well enough, and Vegas is able to take advantage of that. You know, even if they're not forcing turnovers, you can still run off of missed jumpers. Um, and, I, like, I, I don't know that it's not going to be competitive. I just can't see a way that Vegas wins, you know? Mm. Do you see any way that Vegas wins, Matt? Like, just what has to happen for Vegas? Mm. Uh, if Seattle has its full team, like we know it, just minus Wickham, I, I don't see it. No. Uh, if obviously, listen, if someone get, gets taken out of a game, sure, but Seattle's just too deep. Because also remember, I mean, Vegas was basically playing five players for those last two games. They cut the depth chart down. They can't do that against Seattle. They'll run them to death. I do think Jackie Young becomes much more important in this series, though, than she was against Connecticut because she just couldn't get anything done against Bonner. Um, But there's nobody like that. Uh, I mean, I don't think you're going to put Stewie on her when she's in the game. So there's going to be opportunities for her. Uh, You know, and we talk about like Vegas is getting, you know, um, running – off of turnovers and misses and stuff like Jackie's good in the open floor too. So I think like that's where um, Vegas is going to have to make, you know, some differences in those bench minutes, I guess, like she's going to have to outplay Canada and Prince and whatever else is coming off of the Seattle bench. Yeah. I'm glad that Seattle backcourt defense is weaker. Yeah. And and more crucially, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Jackie Young because she was oh god, she was horrible against Connecticut. I mean, she was really really not. She's good. the reason I guess she's they couldn't really go small, good. right? Like, who is the fifth person in that lineup if it's not Jackie Young? The problem is that she just is so hesitant when she wasn't getting. I mean, Connecticut took away her runouts, mm-hmm. and then she was so hesitant. Was it game three? I remember that that Angel McCutcher gave her some dirty look for not giving her the ball. That could apply it a might couple have been of them. Game four, actually. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Game, I just remember there was a one sequence where just they, they took too long. Yeah, she took too long. She was just the problem is that Connecticut was so was helping so much off other people, and just Young lost her decisiveness passing the ball playing point guard. So yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it can't be much worse of a series for her. Um, <laughs> so that that's good, but yeah, no, I, I mean, which is a shame. She had a good regular season. She did. She did, although I wonder if like her good regular season was tied to how little McCautry played, and if McCautry's playing big minutes, you can't really play the two of them together as easily. And no. I don't, I'm curious how that plays out, because I think it's clear that McCautry's got to play big minutes now. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the path to victory for, for Vegas is, again, they muck up the game for sort of the rhythm of Seattle's offense to be messed up, and then they jam the ball back down Seattle's throat. I think there's a path. I think it's harder with without Hamby. I'm going to say this series goes five games. It might be wishful wow. thinking. But, um, yeah. Listen, I want that. Yeah. So the last thing I want to ask is, like, kind of, is this, do you think it's fair in any way that this finals could be a referendum on the MVP vote between Asia and Stewart? Um, what happens if one dominates and the other struggles? Do you think that that will either further validate or dismiss the MVP voter. Is this season just too weird to have those sorts of conversations? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I think, you know, I, I mean, Asia Wilson played better than Stewart 
uh, in their first matchup and throughout the season. I mean, Asia was, Asia was awesome. Like she was a superstar throughout. So regardless, I still think the same way. I think it, it would take a lot to change my mind that Asia Wilson had the better season and was deserving of MVP, but Brianna Stewart is the better player overall. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like in the NBA, we have this argument all the time where clearly the best player in the league does not win MVP because it's a regular season award. And there's a certain body of work you have to put forth right over those 82 games. And uh, it doesn't happen that often in the WNBA because it seems like the best player on the best team always wins. And the number one seed wins the title. Like last four years, you've got Elena Deladon, uh, Brianna Stewart, Sylvia Fowles, and Echo Gumake all leading their teams to the title. Uh, so we just don't end up in this situation all the time where we have to like actually consider whether the MVP was given to the rightful person. But just because it was 22 games, I, it's such a small, I mean, it's not small, like that relative to 34, but I mean, Vegas won the one seat, right? Like, I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that Asia Wilson had the most value to her team. Right. They did finish with the same regular season record. I will they beat Seattle out. twice, <laughs> but they did beat Seattle twice. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it is interesting you mentioned. I just wonder, could, this is maybe my NBA brain talking because, like you said, Sabrina, usually you don't have this issue, of, this meta discussion of regular season versus postseason, 82-game players versus 16-game players, blah, 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 blah. Like, the playoffs is where one shines over the other. I mean, the other thing, too, is that there are so many good players who missed out this year that maybe would have been in the MVP chase had they been fully totally. healthy. Uh, so it's sort of... There's also that element to it. Um, but, I mean, that might be just assuming, like, a Seattle runaway. I mean, like, if if Asia can and the Aces win this series, don't you think that will somehow, like, that will further validate her performance and also make things very interesting next year if Liz Cambage comes back. But that's a, that's a discussion for later. That is something that I haven't been willing to bring to the table because that <laughs> spice level is so high. However, <laughs> however, I mean, that is something I was thinking, you know, if Las Vegas had lost to Connecticut in game five versus win, like how did that affect Liz Cambage's status? And not only like, what the team thinks, but what Liz thinks, because both things are super important now as we're seeing like players have a lot more say in where they go. And we all know that Liz wanted to go to Los Angeles, who now has a an open plate with all three of their best players uh, as free agents. So anything could happen. I don't know. Mm. I think that's, a, that's one of the really, really, really interesting subplots to the series is how deep does Vegas make it and what do they think of who was missing this year if they push Seattle as far as you think they could? I just think it's really interesting if Vegas wins because like you wrote about, you know, for 538, Mike, just they're, they're so different than the way we conceive of a modern yeah. offense. Right. And I just think it's great for stylistic diversity that a team that plays this way could be so successful, especially against a team this, like the storm that are, you know, theoretically the vision for how you want to build your team. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I don't want to put the cart before the horse here because we do that too much in basketball coverage, but it is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Last thing I'll, I'll say, and this again is another cart before the horse question, but um, we love those. Come on. We need those in the WNBA more and more and more. Yeah. Matt, you've, you've referred, you said this a lot, like looking at all the injured players, if they come back next year, I want to take this a little bit differently. Let's say all those players are playing this year. Do we still get this Matt? I mean, do we still get this matchup? And does Seattle, who do you think we get if everyone is healthy? No. I mean, I think the Mystics are in the finals. Um, 
if everybody on that team plays this year, which is like, it's like the matchup we've kind of been dying to see, right? Like we've been wanting to see this rematch with everyone healthy. We wanted it last year. Then we're like, all right, finally, like next year, everyone's going to be back. You mean with Seattle? Just to be clear. Yeah, Seattle, Washington, you know, after the 2018 finals where obviously Elena was was hurt during that. And then last year we had both Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart out for the entire year. So we still haven't gotten to see it. And I feel like as a fan of the league, that's the thing I've been wanting to see. Like these two powerhouse modern offense filled with superstar teams. Like we've been waiting for that. And I, I think that they make it if if everybody plays. Obviously, they were not that bad this year. Right. Uh and that was without Elena Deladon and Tina Charles and Latoya Sanders and Natasha Cloud and almost the entire season's worth of aerial power. So, yeah, that's that's my thought. It's so funny. There's only 12 teams, and I did not think of Washington first. I immediately went to Connecticut. Like, what would they look like? John Cole Jones? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair argument, too. Because I don't think Dewana Bonner was ready to be the number one option in the playoffs this year. Like, I feel like a lot of the reason they lost was just – she didn't get good enough shots uh, in that series. Um, and, you know, she doesn't have to be a full number one option if John Cole Jones is on the team. So, Yeah, I agree. I, I think they just fell behind the eight ball so early in the year and never got enough time to build chemistry. I mm-hmm. thought it was – I tweeted this out, but I thought it was really telling that if you look at the last play of the game in game five, it falls apart because – Ja- uh, Alyssa Thomas sets a screen at one angle, thinking that Bonner is already coming off the screen and Bonner is not there. And you can see Alyssa Thomas just banging her foot on the floor, being like, come on, come off the screen. And you can tell that there's never quite got that chemistry. And, you know, but yeah, it's a good point. Like, why why aren't, why not consider Connecticut? I mean, again, we said it in the previous show. Like, on paper, if you just had brought John Quill Jones back, you, Brianne January and Dewana Bonner are better than Courtney Williams and Shaquina Strickland. So, yep. you know, I think you can't dismiss them and you can't necessarily dismiss LA if Tolliver is playing this I was going to ask that question too. Uh, yeah, does, does Tolliver also put them in, in the conversation too? And a healthy NECA because she wasn't healthy all year. Right. And then you also talk about, I mean, we, I think, all believe that Vegas was – better this year because of the parts they missed and it fit better but what if we were wrong and what if you know they found a way to get wilson and cambage and kelsey plum and all their and mccautry all fitting together i mean that's an incredibly talented team too yeah i, mean, I agree with the cambage part but i think they'd be better with plum yep yeah yeah, yeah i mean you could argue half the league is the contender next year which is <laughs> You nuts. It's so cool. <laughs> it is really cool. Like I hope that everybody is able to play next year uh, because this that's like what we've been waiting for. Like again, like I feel like this year before the pandemic, obviously we're all like, oh my god, like it's going to be stacked. Brianna Stewart's back. Like this is going to be nuts. And now we had to wait one more year for it. So I hope we finally get it. Real quick, uh, we'll talk about this. I think maybe after the finals, but it just briefly off season wise, like what are the who are the key free agents? Like, what are sort of the key questions? You mentioned the sparks. Like, what could potentially? I mean, what could our? What are some dominoes that could fall that could change I, the balance of power in the league? I think everything starts with LA, and I'm very, very, very curious to know. First of all, if Derek Fisher is going to stay as head coach after a second really disappointing postseason outcome, um, and after that, it's well, do, you know, do the do the big three of Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, and Neko Agumake still think that they can win a championship? Or are they starting to doubt, um, you know, how they've aged and if that group is the right group? 
and if Christy Tolliver is the solution. Um, I think those are all really valid questions and depending on what their free agency decision is, is going to be big. And I also think a secondary one, which is a little spicier, but Phoenix has to kind of be thinking about what they're doing with Brittany Griner now, right? Because they were a whole lot better when Brianna uh, Turner played that center position and she was a real breakout player. Um, and their offense just moved a hell of a lot better. Um, obviously, Turner is a little smaller, but she's quicker, can defend in space, uh, younger. Uh, does Phoenix think like, you know, Diana is still in you know, an all-star caliber player, and we don't know how much longer she's going to be like this. Do they make a move and swing Griner for maybe another piece? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I thought uh, Turner's old defense vote was uh, misguided, but um, she's yeah. still really good for she's Phoenix. She's still really good. It was, yeah. it was only half the year, but uh, th- those are, I think, the two biggest ones for me. And surely also you don't think Phoenix would say like, well, our window with Tarasi is closed. we got to rebuild. And would that be this? You're point? not rebuilding with Diana Tarasi still in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you are either. She was great this year too. When she was healthy, she was, I and mean, she only missed like four games with that back injury that we all were kind of worried about uh, was going to cost her the season. She was, yeah, I put her as an all first team guard. So I think mm-hmm. she's that good. Still. And Connecticut has some key free agents too, right? Yeah. Jasmine and Alyssa Thomas are both free agents for Connecticut. Um, but I, I think the, they made the decisions they made last summer, you know, to let Courtney and Shakina go because, or not last summer, last off season, because they wanted to save money for this, you know, free agent class. Yeah. I think I'd be shocked if either of those two left. Uh, so you're saying they're going to resign them using that money. Cause uh, Connecticut still is not the place that would necessarily attract the top free agents. I mean, Dewana Bonner wanted to go there to be by the yep. beach in Connecticut, from what I understand. <laughs> That's, <laughs> oh, that's what the right. said. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I did. God, I totally forgot about that. That's, oh, man. Uh, wow. And then you talk about the Mystics. We, they have a lot of interesting decisions to make this summer. Emma Tina, they've already said they're keeping Tina, and Tina's already said she's staying. So that's oh, so that, So that's interesting, because I, that would not have been the piece I would have thought that they should keep, but... Yeah, I think we all thought that was a risky one, but they're on board with it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, believe they only have five players under contract, and that doesn't include Emma Mieseman, Ariel Powers, uh, yeah. Tiana Hawkins, uh, Natasha Cloud, and Tina Charles. So, yeah. Ooh. And then you, we haven't even gotten to Sabrina Ionescu returning next year from injury. Oh, I like that Liberty team. I'm excited for them too. I hope they're able to pull a star. I hope that there's somebody in this league who's going to surprise us and say, I want out of where I am and I want to play with Sabrina. Candace Parker, maybe? Candace place is a cool place to play. <laughs> Candace could go a number of ways too, right? Like maybe she's the biggest star that could realistically move, um, you know, just by her own choice, whether she wants to go back and play with Chicago, if she wants right. to go back to her hometown. And like if Diamond DeShields is healthy and we get her and Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, like that's a hell of a team. Does she want to go to Atlanta, like closer to the Turner Studios? And mm. that team has a lot of nice pieces now. I would want to play with Kennedy Carter and Tiffany Hayes comes back. Like that's also a good team. I don't know. Candace Parker might be like the biggest domino. Yeah, I'm like, I think Atlanta is going to be pretty good next year for sure because they still will have court. They got court. two old defense selections. So <laughs> such a great core there. <laughs> uh, 
there's no way Benajelini will play as well with Hayes coming back, right? I mean, I'm just, I don't know. This, the, the pieces don't necessarily, can't all thrive the way they did this year, but they could be really talented. Yep. Uh, boy, it's exciting next year. We still have finals to play. Yep. Uh, we're hoping it's all very competitive. Um, Matt Allen, Tuck, Sabrina Merchant. Any final thoughts on this WNBA season and offseason, finals matchup, anything you want to plug? Uh, For one, I'm very happy that I don't want to jinx things because we have a couple more games to play, but we made it through this entire season and it seems like everything ran at least decently smoothly. We had a couple of bumps in the road along the way, but um, you know, keeping that bubble safe is super important. And I'm really glad they were able to pull it off because I didn't think it was possible. The WNBA was under some like crazy, you know, circumstances. Obviously the, the NBA. Matt. He's also frozen for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. We can just skip this part. Hold on. I'll just wrap this. Matt. I uh, my you. bad. I, I lagged out of it. All right. We'll just forget the fun. Did you hear anything I said? No. You said okay. something about the WNBA succeeding by completing a season. That's okay. Yeah. I can redo it if we want. Otherwise, we no, can. That's okay. Uh, any final thoughts um, on this season? Anything to plug, Sabrina or Matt? I mean, I'm just really happy that we had this Candace Parker season because I was so worried about where she was going in her career trajectory after last year. And it was so cool to watch her be just really, really good because I think she's, you know, when she came into the league, she was kind of a unicorn for lack of a better word in terms of the way she plays. And now there's a lot of people like her, but I don't think they're as good as her. And it was really fun to watch her just have this year. Um, even if she's not in LA next year, which I think she will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was fun. Watch. I, I, it is always fun to watch sort of the original adapt to the modern like i think you're gonna see in the nba a little bit of that with golden state next year i'm very curious to see how they adapt to this game that has suddenly caught up to them and how do they go from there uh should be fascinating yeah fun WNBA season that's matt ellentuck that's sabrina merchant um i don't think you're gonna get a more in-depth look at the finals and the state of the league than what we just got right here thank you guys so much all-star team yeah <laughs> And we'll be back next week with uh, another finals episode for the NBA. And we'll probably, maybe we'll find some time to wrap up and preview this WNBA offseason. It's still weird that uh, both these things are going on. But anyway, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Mm-hmm.